The RSVP Trust, changing lives around the world. Hi, I'm Don Egan. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Today we're looking at priorities. What are our priorities in life? So let's go over to the message. I'm just going to look at tonight some words of Jesus, because I think uh, he's the best person to listen to. Hazel and I went away for the weekend and we went walking one day and we came to this stile as we were walking and there's a big yellow sign that says uh, beware of bull and I thought it was an, uh, something to do with the election um, but apparently <laughs> it was about an animal in the field but I thought it was very appropriate election time that someone had put on, on the fence and uh, I was thinking the other night if we could harness all the hot hair, hot air that's uh, generated during the election, you know, we could sort of power a whole village or something. I don't know. So we're looking tonight at uh, more important words, which are the words of Jesus in Matthew 6 and verse 31, words that most of you have probably heard before. Uh, and he said, uh, he's talking to the crowd, and he says, Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. But your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So I want to talk tonight about priorities. What are our priorities? Uh, How do we know what our priorities are? And what did Jesus say that our priority should be? In 1977, uh, when Elvis died if indeed he did die. Uh, (laughs) There were 34 known Elvis impersonators. And by 1990, that figure had risen to 20,000 Elvis impersonators worldwide. If this trend continues, by the year 2035, one in five people alive will be an Elvis impersonator and they will replace the Chinese as the largest people group on earth. (laughs) But with Elvis, if you want to make a religion, you've got everything you need to make a religion. You've got the founder who's... uh, We've heard about his death, but people say they've seen him since. Uh, There's statues of him. You can visit the birthplace. Uh, And in fact, uh, Easter 1994, they held the first uh, service of the Church of the Living Elvis and have since planted a daughter church. So that explains what some people's priorities are. But I want to look at what are our priorities. We can tell a little bit about what our priorities are by what we spend our time thinking about, what we spend our time talking about, what we get angry or passionate about, uh, what we have meetings about, what we read about, what we listen to, what we watch if we kind of just reflect and write a list of those things down, uh, that will tell you really what your priorities are. And they may be a little bit different from what you would tell other people they are. But um, when I think about those things, uh, you know, it's, um, it's scary what real priorities are. The fact that Gok Wan and Jamie Oliver are so prominent on the TV mean that 2,000 years after Jesus said these words... What we eat and what we wear are two of the most important things that people think about. I mean, this is, Jesus is bang up to date. Don't worry about what you're going to wear, whether you look good naked. That's a scary thought for some of us. 
<laughs> and God knows that we need all those things. And uh, nor is what Jesus is saying. Uh, some religions would say that the flesh doesn't matter and say so we should ignore all material things and seek the spirit. But that isn't what Jesus is saying. Because he says, don't worry about what you shall eat or what you shall wear, for after all these things the Gentiles or the unbelievers chase after. But your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. And then he says, seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and um, all these things, all these material things will be added to you as well. So he's not saying that what we eat, what we wear, what we drink, and all the other things that we think about are not important. But he's talking about priorities, the order in which we place them in priority. And he said, for life to work, we must put his kingdom and his way of doing and being right at the top of our priorities. And what about us who would say that we believe? I've been really thinking uh, in this new year, what I've, been a, I've been an evangelist for, since Adam was a lad, um, for 30 years, I guess. And, um, you know, I asked the question, what is the good news a little while back? Um, I know what the good news is. It's about when Jesus came and stuff. But what really is it? Um, I think we've gone so far down the road about Jesus being our mate and, you know, God being our dad. And that, that's true. That's an aspect of God's intimacy with us. He knows the numbers of hairs in our heads. He says we're to come like children. So there's nothing wrong with that. But we're so far down that road, I think we forget the holiness and reverence of God. Because if you read about revivals in, the past, in past history, I can tell you when God shows up, you can't be, that no one's casual with him. Because the awesome presence of God is something that stops men and women in their tracks. And I think what we need today in Britain is a visitation from the living God. I think the church needs it, we need it, and I certainly need it. I was just listening over the last few weeks, thinking about this thing of priorities. And uh, in all different churches, I travel around, so I'm not pointing the finger at any one church. But I've just listed some things that we talk about when we meet together. Notice boards, the heating or lack of it, the music, the songs, the flowers, the roof, the regulations the finance or lack of it, the, ma the church magazine, the cleaning rotor, the coffee rotor, the PA system, the creche, the Sunday school, the projector, the screen, the hymn book. Important though some of those things are. <laughs> I wonder where seeking the kingdom first is. And if you listen to people in, with big ministries and things, sometimes they talk about, you know, we're going to, in this ministry, we're going to, uh, we're going to build the church and stuff like that. Well, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom and I will build my church. So <laughs> you're trying to do his job. So his job is to build the church, to make things grow. And our job is to seek the kingdom. And what we do generally as believers is we don't seek the kingdom first and we try and do Jesus' job of building the church. And that's why it goes wrong. I reckon if that God took the Holy Spirit away from the church worldwide for a year, I reckon about 90% of what we do would just carry on. Because it's all just stuff that we do. <laughs> it's not born out of seeking uh, 
seeking that presence of God and the Holy Spirit. I think we need this uh, revival breakthrough. And the more I read about stuff that happens uh, in the past, and it won't be exactly like the past, but we need a breakthrough uh, in Britain. And the other thing I've noticed in all these accounts, going back through history, right back to the Bible, was just before revival came, and I believe it's coming to Britain, just before revival came, things are very, always very bad, and things are always very barren. Uh, J.C. Ryle uh, wrote about the state of the UK. He was talking about revival, but he describes the UK uh, in the 19th century just before revival came. And he, he points out a few things. First, Christian faith was not influential. Does that sound familiar today? He wrote, Christianity seemed to lie as one dead. There was darkness in high places, darkness in low places, a gross, thick, religious and moral darkness, a darkness that might be felt. Secondly, he said the church was ineffective. He described both the Anglican churches and the free churches. He writes, they existed, but they could hardly be said to have lived. They did nothing. They were sound asleep. Cold morality or barren orthodoxy formed the staple teaching in both church and chapel. Sermons everywhere were little better than miserable moral essays, utterly devoid of anything likely to awaken, convert, or save souls. Not pulling his punches there. Third, he says that church leaders were distracted, and uh, my lot, the Anglicans, come in for some heavy fire. Of the Anglican clergy, he wrote, the vast majority of them were sunk in worldliness, and neither knew nor cared anything about their profession. They hunted, they shot, they farmed, they swore, they drank, they gambled. They seemed determined to know everything except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And then he said, I like this bit, when they did preach, their sermons were so unspeakably and indescribably bad that it's comforting to reflect that they were generally preached to empty benches. <laughs> and then he said people were sceptical of true Christian faith. The land was deluged with infidelity and scepticism, and the prince of this world made good use of his opportunity. And then just to finish, he says, it may suffice it to say that dueling, adultery, fornication, gambling, swearing, Sabbath-breaking and drunkenness were hardly regarded as vices at all. They were the fashionable practice of people in the highest ranks of society, and no one was thought the worse for indulging them. So that was kind of the background, which is, is not dissimilar to today by any stretch of imagination. That was the time when God brought revival in this country and, and in America and various other places. So uh, we mustn't think, because things can look a bit gloomy for, for Christians and for the Christian faith, that you know, there's no hope of God doing something. In fact, the opposite is true. That because things are so bad, that's the time when God normally steps in and does something new. And we haven't got time to go into it. But he shows how the whole of the UK was transformed. And, uh, and no one, even, you know, even unbelievers couldn't deny it, and it was transformed not by politicians or leaders, uh, but by uh, people who had sought God's face, who'd sought the kingdom first, and had done what God told them to do, and transformed the country. 
And uh, you see this in other parts of the Bible, uh, if you think about it. Moses, um, just to recap the story of Moses, um, you know, when he was 40, he encountered this fight between an Egyptian and one of his own people, the Hebrews. And from what ensued, he murdered the Egyptian. And he then went on the run, and it seemed that his ministry, uh, or the hope of God using him as a fugitive, uh, guilty of murder, it, it was like his whole life purpose had been lost. And um, this great man who became a national leader was just poking sheep around in the desert, and not even a nice desert, you know, just <laughs> the back of nowhere, for 40 years. And uh, he gets to 80 years old. And uh, I'd imagine he thought, I'll probably just be poking these sheep around for the time I've got left. But one day, he was walking along, poking the sheep with his stick and you know, moving them about, whatever shepherds do. I don't know, I'm not from a farming community. I grew up in Manchester, but whatever <laughs> shepherds do. I mean, you maybe some shepherds here, I don't know what you do. But he was doing that anyway. And um, he noticed that this bush was on fire, but it wasn't being consumed. And I think the story of Moses is, is, a, is a, a kind of a, a metaphor, a picture of how God brings revival. Because what happens is that God... Nor, nor, there's always two old ladies somewhere praying for 100 years in revival, at least. And then coming out of that time, God sends a fire... And uh, it begins to stir in men's hearts. Now Moses could have just carried on and thought, oh, that bush is on fire. And how strange it's not being consumed. But uh, Exodus 3 tells us that he went closer to have a look. And uh, when God begins to put a fire of, of revival in our hearts, or when he does something new, he's looking for people who will come and seek him first. Seek the kingdom and have a look at what God is doing. And um, Moses saw the fire sent by God. He went to look at it, seeking the God. And then when he drew near, when he went to investigate the fire, when he drew near the fire, then God spoke. And lots of people say, you know, if I say, oh, God's told me to start this Junction 50 thing. Lots of people say, oh, God never speaks to me. And uh, what I've learned over the years is, you really have to give God that opportunity. And one of the things I've started doing this year is to, to read a passage from the Bible every day. Sometimes I just think, I haven't a clue what that was about. But I'm, I'm there with a pen and paper and just write down. I'm ready to hear if God speaks. And uh, I haven't always done that. That's a, a recently renewed thing. But if you want God to speak, you've got to be ready to hear. And... Believe you me, if God does speak to you, you want to make sure you get it written down. <laughs> because it's very important what God uh, is going to tell you. And so God didn't speak until Moses drew close. So if you want to hear God speak, you have to seek first the kingdom. You have to draw close to him. And then one of the things that God said first was take your shoes off. And you see today we're all about our human rights, aren't we? And uh, I drove up and pulled up outside a guy's house. And he was sweeping some, he'd been doing a bit of work on his house. He was sweeping some brick dust. And he just jokingly sort of scuffed the side of my car with his sweeping brush. 
And I said, oh, you know, where there's blame, there's a claim. Because uh, that's the culture we live in. We've all got rights. You know, I've slipped on my own shoelaces and I've sued someone for £5,000. It's that kind of culture. But I can tell you, in God's presence, we have no rights at all. And we're to obey the voice of God. That, that independent spirit of Adam and Eve that thought they knew better in God cannot stand in God's presence. And so we have to submit to God uh, and come to him. And so first thing God says is, this isn't a normal place. Take your shoes off because this is a holy place. And Moses is obedient. See, some people want to serve God, but only as advisors. Uh, You know, they want to get in and just give him a bit of uh, advice on how to do it all. Um, And we've got to come with a humble spirit. I don't know if you know, but in the uh, days of the early kings uh, of the Hebrew nation, the Israelite nation, when a man became king, you'll find this in Deuteronomy 17, verse 18, when a man became king, he had to write a copy of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. He had to write it out by hand before he could become king. And he had to do it in front of the priests. And uh, it says in Deuteronomy 17 and verse 20 that, that the reason for this was that his heart may not be lifted up above his brethren. So God, even if you're the king, God requires this submission and the seeking his kingdom and his way of doing and being right. And then uh, another place I've just been looking at about this whole thing of you can have barrenness and, and it's hopeless and then God moves in and does something. I was thinking of um, writing a message called um, Is God Pushing His Luck? <laughs> because um, I always think it's a miracle that God saved me. Uh, that's a big thing, you know, if you knew what I used to be like. That's a miracle. Um, but it, I think he pushes his luck. He said, I've got a little ministry I want you to do. I think, oh, you're pushing your luck now. Because it's a miracle <laughs> to rescue me out of my past. But to have any hope that you could somehow use me, God, you know, is like pushing his luck. But, so God is never satisfied just to rescue you. He has a plan and a purpose. Uh, and he pushes his luck. I don't believe in luck, nor does God. But you know what I mean? He kind of pushes it further than you would ever think he could push it. And uh, in Genesis 25, there's this lovely story of, um, of uh, Rebecca, who is barren and can't have children. And uh, obviously she's prayed. Um, and uh, when they prayed, she conceived uh, a child. And um, I just came across this uh, as I was reading the Bible the other day. And I just felt lately, which is partly why we're doing this, I just felt uneasy and I, and I kind of struggled going in within myself that God wants to do something different. And uh, it's really, you know, it's really um, not confused me, but it's disturbed me at quite a deep level. And I was reading this story about Rebecca who was barren and then she conceived. And then it says that the children struggled together within her. And she said, if all is well, why am I like this? And that's exactly what I've been saying to God. If everything's all right, why am I feeling this disturbance right in my spirit? You know, something's wrong. Well, it's not always wrong. There was nothing wrong 
with Rebekah. And what God said to her, uh, she went to pray and said that to the Lord. If everything's all right, why is this struggle within me? And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. In other words, you're going to have twins. And these two babies are going to be the founders of great nations. Uh, One of them was the tribe of Benjamin, uh, who later brought about St. Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. (laughs) It's not an insignificant moment, but there was a struggle. And uh, I don't need to tell women that there's a struggle (laughs) before childbirth. And um, I was present uh, when ours were born. And uh, I'm sure Hazel struggled, but, that, you know, it wasn't even happening to me. And I was struggling. In fact, on the first one, we shared the gas and air. Because it just, it just you know, 14 hours. I'm telling you, I hadn't clue what was happening. So it was one sniff of me and one sniff of Hazel. But there's a, there's a, there's a disturbance and pain and, and travail is the, is the old word. So there wasn't anything wrong. So if you felt a bit disturbed lately, or just unsettled, it doesn't necessarily mean there's anything wrong. It may mean that God is about to do something very big in your life, very significant, that's going to change the course of history for you or someone else. So we're called to seek first the kingdom of God. And I was thinking, how do you seek the kingdom of God? And um, I think one of the things you've got to do if you want to seek the kingdom of God, you've got to find out stuff about the king. We do a lot of work in Rwanda, and uh, I read quite a bit of stuff about the president of Rwanda. Because, I mean, he's kept... The guy came over the, over the border with guns and an army and stopped a genocide. And he, I would say, he is very significant in keeping stability in that nation. And I don't know what will happen. Uh, he can only do three terms, I think, or two terms. I don't know what happened when he can't be the president. But because we go there, and I'm there when uh, uh, stuff happens, you know, and uh, it, it's a little, it's not unstable, but it's, uh, you just have to be aware that things can change very quickly in Africa. So I, I, I want to know about that kingdom or that country. And so I study a little bit the leader. And you can discover a lot about the country by what the leader is doing and saying what's going to happen in that kingdom. So we have to seek uh, the kingdom of God by finding out about Jesus. And then I'm coming to the end now, and uh, and we're going to have a time of prayer, because I want to give you opportunity if you just want to say to God, I think something's happening and I'm open to you doing something new, or if you come and you want prayer for healing, anything like that, we're going to have a time of prayer. But how do we seek God? How do you actually do it? There's a couple of people who did it in the Bible. Ezra was one. Ezra and Nehemiah, two little books near the middle of the Bible. And it's all about rebuilding. I keep thinking about them because we're renovating the house at the moment. And, uh, you know, there's always, you you take something down, you always discover something you weren't expecting and it's always worse and the bill's always bigger than you thought it was. And um, I'm thinking of Nehemiah wasn't renovating a house, he was rebuilding a city. And uh, there was a real battle because people came and he'd build a wall and people would take it down in the night and stuff like that. But Ezra, was, uh, he was a guy who was around at that time. And one of the things that happened during this rebuilding of the wall was they found the book of the law. They'd lost the Bible, it had been lost for generations. And they found it. And Ezra was the guy involved. 
in reading it to the people and they all weep and everything. But it says in Ezra 7.10 that he prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach statutes and ordinances to Israel. So he prepared his heart. So we have to be intentional. We have to decide what we're going to do to seek the kingdom. We need to write down, this is what I'm going to do. Stick it on the fridge or, or something. You have to be intentional and prepare your heart for change. And then in Deuteronomy 4.29, when the people have uh, are lost, uh, God is talking about how they'll be lost into captivity. And he says, from there you'll seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and all your soul. Because if I'm honest, some days I've got out of bed and not even prayed. And, and some days I think praying is like, good morning God, uh, I don't know what you're going to do today, but the day is yours. And then don't really speak to him again. And I don't think that is seeking the kingdom of God first. I think there has to be something different to what I've been doing and uh, really touch God. And we can't live at the top of the mountain. We have to get on with life. We have to be practical. But there's something that we need to do. We have to be intentional. We have to have a plan and a strategy uh, to know Jesus uh, in a deeper way. Someone said this week, I heard someone say he's, he's asking God for the unction to function, which I think is, is what I'm talking about. I want the anointing of God to do what it is he's calling me to do. So we want this supernatural power. The other thing I read on Facebook, I think it was, that you know, the, the less Holy Spirit we have, the more coffee and cake we need to keep the church going. <laughs> I think that's true. But it's not about coffee and cake. Uh, I mean, you know, we haven't had cake tonight, but we, we felt we had to have coffee to keep it going. But I don't want it to be like that. I want, I want the anointing of God to come. And... Um, yeah, so starting the day with a, a pen and paper. I went to a monastery a little while back, and uh, I, was, I was quite taken aback by the monks there. And while I was there, someone was sharing about St. Patrick. And uh, I'm going to just close with a prayer that St. Patrick started every day with. And uh, if you think of my little prayer, morning God, you know, come with me into the day. But this is what... St. Patrick, who went through quite a lot of stuff. This was his daily prayer. And he said, I bind unto myself today the strong name of the Trinity by invocation of the same, the three in one and the one in three. I bind this day to me forever by power of faith, Christ's incarnation, his baptism in the Jordan River, his death on the cross for my salvation, his bursting from the spice tomb, his riding up the heavenly way, his coming at the day of doom, I bind to myself today. I bind unto myself the power of the great love of the cherubim, the sweet well done in judgment hour, the service of the seraphim, confessor's faith, apostle's word, the patriarch's prayers, the prophet's scrolls, all good deeds done to him unto the Lord and purity of virgin souls. I bind unto myself today the virtues of the starlit heaven, the glorious sun, sun's life-giving ray, the whiteness of the moon at even, the flashing of the lightning free, the whirling winds, tempestuous shocks, the stable earth, 
the deep salt sea around the old eternal rocks. I bind unto myself today the power of God to hold and lead, his eye to watch, his might to stay, his ear to hearken to my need, the wisdom of my God to teach, his hand to guide, his shield to ward, the word of God to give me speech, his heavenly host to be my guard. Against the demon's snares of sin, the vice that gives temptation force, the natural lusts that war within, the hostile men that mar my course, or few or many, or far or nigh, in every place and in all hours, against their fierce hostility, I bind to me these holy powers. Against all Satan's spells and wiles, against false words of heresy, against the knowledge that defiles, against the heart's idolatry, against the wizard's evil craft, against the death wound and the burning, the choking wave and the poison shaft, protect me, Christ, till thy returning. Christ be with me, Christ within me, Christ behind me, Christ before me, Christ beside me, Christ to win me, Christ to comfort and restore me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ in quiet, Christ in danger, Christ in hearts of all that love me, Christ in mouth of friend and stranger. I bind unto myself the name, the strong name of the Trinity, by invocation of the same, the three in one and the one in three, of whom all nature hath creation, eternal Father, Spirit, Word, praise to the Lord of my salvation. Salvation is of Christ the Lord. I think you've prayed when you pray that every day. <laughs> That's a little bit beyond what I'm doing at the moment. I don't know about you. I think this guy was serious about prayer. That was just his morning prayer. I don't know what he did at other times of the day. These monks pray seven times a day. The first prayer meeting is at 3.30am. I didn't know there was another 3.30am. I thought it was just the one in the afternoon. And I said to the, the guy who was looking after us, you know, do, someone asked him, do you ever wake, wake up when the bell goes at three and think, I don't, I don't want to get up and go to prayer? He said, yeah, every day. <laughs> and we said how long have you been doing this he says well for 40 years wow and he, he told us that he we asked why they prayed at 3.30 in the morning and, and they just said as though it was normal well Christ said that Satan comes at night to work in darkness so we pray to hold back the forces of darkness across Britain wow <laughs> there's 60 blokes at least up in Leicester Getting up at 3.30, everyone's pray for you and me. And we might criticise them that they don't go out anywhere, but I was rather glad that they're there <laughs> praying for us. That I was taken aback by it. I think God wants to do something new and fresh. So, so I think we need to hear that word of Jesus again. Seek first the kingdom. Pursue him. Uh, go back to where you last heard God, or remember, you know, Jesus talks about his sadness, that the, the joy that we had when we first knew him in the book of Revelation, you know, he, he tells us to rekindle that passion that we had when we first met him. I just, I just want to know God more, and uh, I want you to know him more. And, um, you know, Jesus left 12 men, quite dodgy men, 
dodgy tax collector. And, and he kind of left them to take the gospel into the whole world. And you can imagine when he got back to heaven, you know, the angels saying, what? What, you just left them 12? What's plan B? And Jesus saying, well, there is no plan B. But from those 12 men, we're here today. Because God could do things with those who seek him. Let's pray. And uh, if you want to stand, stand. If you want to stay seated, stay seated. I'm just going to pray a prayer. And then if you want to just uh, indicate to God that you want to draw closer to him, that you want to be used by him, um, then I just invite you to uh, come to the front and we'll, we'll just say a word of, uh, of faith over you. And then um, after that, we'll pray for those who want prayer uh, for sickness. But let's, um, let's just pray together first. Father, in the name of Jesus, we, we've read this sentence so many times, seek first the kingdom of God. But if I'm honest, that's not always been my priority every week or every day. And today, Lord, I want you to teach me in these days how to put your kingdom as the number one priority, that I might be the person that you've called me to be, to do the things that you've called me to do, and uh, to be able to hear on the last day, well done, good and faithful servant. We we don't want to be a disappointment to you because you've been such a blessing to us. So Holy Spirit, we welcome you here uh, and we ask you to come and touch us, uh, to visit us uh, in these days that you would transform us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening today. Do drop me a line by email. Let me know your thoughts and comments on the podcast. Uh, You can email me at don at rsvptrust.co.uk. Thanks for listening, and we'll look forward to being with you next time. Bye. The RSVP Trust. Changing lives around the world.